welcome to Esserdile Illusions. We have a great episode planned today. We have our first Marvel episode planned. And for that, we brought in a Game of Thrones expert who also is well-versed in uh, Marvel. I'm excited to welcome my good friend Manu, the Manucular Bomb, to Estradile Illusions to talk all about the future of the MCU. Manu, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Manu at Manuclear Bomb, as you mentioned. Um, I am mostly known for my Game of Thrones tweets, and I have a podcast scene of Ice and Fire. Um, I'm actually in the process of uh, getting a, Mar- a Marvel or at least a comic book movie podcast off the ground in the coming month or so. Um, called Panel to Film, where I'll be looking at these MCU films specifically, but a lot of comic book movies um, as they relate to the source material. So um, I'm also just a huge MCU fan, which it's probably not that big of a deal anymore since it's definitely like the largest franchise that's ever existed in like modern pop culture. Um, but it kind of, I don't want to say changed who I am, but uh, prior to the movie Captain America Winter Soldier, I had read about five comic books in my life. Um, and since that movie, I've read about 3,000 and seen just about every movie, like multiple times, dozens of times. Um, I've even seen Avengers Endgame six times in theaters. So I kind of have a problem. Well, I, I'm actually really glad you brought up Winter Soldier because I was about to. Um, we always hear that Twitter discourse or Twitter opinions don't matter, that they don't mean anything. They don't move the needle, debates, all of that. I actually, Manu changed my opinion on Winter Soldier. It was a movie that I watched, and I always liked Captain America. I never had anything against him, but I grew up an X-Men fanatic. As a LGBTQ person, I always resonated with the uh, oppression of the X-Men. I think, you know, a a lot of marginalized groups have uh, identified a lot with the X-Men, and I just... as a growing up a comic book reader, because there were so many different uh, variations of the X-Men, there was, X, you know, Uncanny X-Men, uh, Ultimate X-Men, Exiles, Astonishing X-Men. I didn't really, uh, you know, by the time I got that stack every uh, couple of weeks or so, my mom wouldn't really let me buy any more comics. So that would always kind of keep me satisfied. But with Winter Soldier, I always liked it. And I would always see Manu's tweets like, about Bucky and Steve and all of that. And at first I didn't really understand uh, what the big deal was. And I sat down and I rewatched it. And wow, I mean, it really is probably, I think it it probably is the best of the uh, MCU. It's a really, really well done drama that um, it's got the right balance of uh, action, uh, sort of moral, moral message. And, uh, you know, it it takes a good look at the world as well. I I really, uh, I like the Winter Soldier a lot. Yeah, um, I, there's a lot of that movie that just appeals to my own kind of personal like aesthetics because I grew up on a lot of the 90s action movies and James Bond films, the Bourne films. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of like my bread and butter or my preferred popcorn. Um, so Winter Soldier is one of the few Marvel movies that's more focused on practical effects, hand-to-hand combat, um, you know, just not the big uh, space opera, um, you know, CGI battles that you see in basically every other Marvel film. Um, It spoke to me on that level. I think you mentioned some of the messaging, um, the moral messaging in that. Um, I don't think I have to, you know, look too far to point out, oh, the federal law enforcement and the highest people in power are Nazis. You know, that turned out to be very applicable, even when people said in 2014 it was heavy handed. And I think one of the parts that really spoke to me was 
when all this discovery happened that, you know, Hydro or the Nazis were in control of all this government. And Nick Fury's like, we'll see what we can salvage. And Cap's like, no, if the Nazis took it over, it all has to go. It's garbage, um, which is kind of how I feel about a lot of our institutions these days. So um, it just checked a lot of boxes. And we also grew up in a time, especially in the 90s, where Captain America was kind of like your grandfather's superhero. And he was more, more of an yeah. old scold. Um, rather than someone who's kind of subversive. Um, but what they've done in the you know last 10 to 15 years of comics, and especially in the MCU, is made is put Captain America at odds with the power structures, whether it's the U.S. government, whether it's the Avengers and Tony Stark. And it almost like decolonized my opinion of Captain America, who I just always assumed was a hero that was you know built on imperialism and the American dream. Um, but it's actually a lot more complicated and a little more subversive than I originally thought. So it just happened to check all those boxes and then shot in the whole 1970s political thriller kind of style. It was one of the first Marvel movies that tried to be a genre film before a comic book movie. And it's just like that confluence of like things essentially it, it, it ignited something in me that, like I said, that made me start reading comics and that really elevated the amount to which I appreciated the MCU. And I think, Ever since Winter Soldier, minus one or two films, like everything's been pretty much excellent since. Yeah, it's really it's astonishing how much uh, how many hits they've put out. I don't think uh, I don't think they've really put out a full stinker. I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Captain Marvel, but I, I think that uh, I think that some of that was just the fact that um, maybe it was a little bit too much focused on uh, world building versus just having fun in the moment, which a lot of these films have seemed to be. But um, as it relates to Endgame, I think that uh, I I was always kind of worried, not worried, but uh, really interested to see how they would uh, put the pieces back together for the future. We all knew that the snap wasn't going to remain the snap or everybody wasn't going to remain dead. Obviously, Spider-Man and Black Panther and Doctor Strange, all these people were going to come back. And I I was really just I was blown away by how satisfying this three hour movie was. It had all these loose strands. Obviously, they didn't get to absolutely everything, but they really did. Um, it was to, to, to put a, you know, to tie a bow around 20 plus movies is um, nobody's ever tried to do that before. It's really uh, it was really an astonishing feat in filmmaking. Yeah. And I. I mean, as a super fan, I guess is a term I can use. It felt like it rewarded you for the amount of time you invested into the previous movies. And if you saw them over and over and you would be able to pick out, oh, this is a reference to that. Um, But it also felt like it gave us something that you never really get in comic books. Comic books, you know, they're a perpetual art form. So characters like Captain America and Iron Man and all them, they're going to live on forever. Even if they die, they're going to come back, you know, within a year or two and resume being their characters. Uh, So Endgame was kind of unique in the fact that it it allowed us to actually have an endpoint for a lot of these characters, for Tony, for Steve, uh, for Natasha, um, while all at the same time, it provided the sense of finality. But you could also see where the MCU was going to go from here with things like Sam taking over his cap. Um, Thor's obviously a reinvigorated character following Taika Waititi's treatment in Ragnarok. Um, so it just, to me, it's like, I don't think Endgame's a perfect movie, but I wouldn't say that about really any movie, but it did so much well. I think the movie itself is 
such a neat three act structure. Um, it just, it feels really thoughtfully made. And I just really appreciate that about the movie. And it gave people a reason to check out Thor, the dark world again, which I've always had a soft spot for. It's not a, it could be one of the, one of the worst of the MCU, but uh, I've always had a soft spot for Thor. Thor is one of the, I think Thor is the only one of the original heroes who got a pre uh, end game trilogy that I watched all of them in theaters and uh, I guess it was probably around halfway through the MCU that I really started to get invested in the way that these did actually play off of each other. And um, they've always managed to do that really well. The idea that uh, you can be welcoming to both uh, diehard fans and uh, people who would be sitting down there for, you know, the first time, even even honestly, something like Infinity War, you'd be a little bit lost, but it's not like it's not like you couldn't just sit there and enjoy yourself with uh, without having seen the previous ones, which I think is remarkable as well. Yeah. Um, and Infinity War is just kind of like a really snappy action movie, whereas like Endgame spends yep. half of its time being a very effective mood piece. Um, you're just always moving in Endgame or in Infinity War. And I mean, there are some characters that are less lesser known popularly than you know, like the Doctor Stranges or the Scarlet Witches, but they give you just enough, but then they just keep the plot going forward and forward and forward. And it's a pretty straightforward premise. There's a big purple guy and he wants six rocks and uh, you can kind of piece it together as they go. But um, if you had invested the time in the 18 movies prior to that, um, you really get a sense for all the stakes and the weight and the emotions between some of the characters. So it has that value of being able to operate on a couple levels, regardless of your investment level. And it contrasts really well with, uh, well, Endgame contrasts really well with Infinity War in the sense that Infinity War gives you all of those team-ups that everybody had kind of been, their mouth had been watering uh, for years, and like something like Civil War had really gotten people excited for what Infinity War could do, basically showing, you know, I don't know, 80, 80% of all of the MCU uh, people in that movie. Uh, that's just a rant. A lot of, a lot of Avengers were in <laughs> right. Civil War, and that, that, uh, that got people really excited for what could happen in Infinity War, and they gave that. They paired up all the people, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of just dream lineups, like the Doctor Strange, Tony Stark dialogue is phenomenal. Putting Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy was just awesome. Uh, it, it worked really well, and then Endgame takes a step back, focuses more on the people who aren't going to be around for the next chapter, and it's it's... You know, you don't use the word contemplative for superhero movies all that often, but it really drove home a lot of the messaging that we we'd started to especially see in uh, Civil War and that kind of continued where these people kind of fit into, you know, saving the world. And that was always kind of a thing that uh, got me really interested in Civil War was just the notion that, uh, you know, look at all the stuff that's happened since the superheroes happened and then you get to see an end game, a, a Captain America who's excited about or who's just trying to help people on a day to day basis without his shield and his group therapy, which uh, had that, that gay reveal, which we were supposed yeah. to be excited yeah. about. But, <laughs> but uh, it it really I, I really liked how it um, 
it felt quiet in a lot of ways without and obviously having a ton of action in in the in the process as well yeah um i mean i'd say the like i was saying how the movie neatly breaks into three acts the first act is almost all reflection and contemplation and how basically the various avengers moved on with their lives and um being the leftist that i am i put a you know a leftist reading on it that um, the uh, characters who like kind of focused on collective healing and community, those were kind of the people that were better off. Like Steve, he was kind of carrying Sam Wilson's legacy of going to, you know, group therapy sessions, trying to be a leader that way. Um, Tony tried to invest himself into his family with Morgan and Pepper, even uh, Black Widow. I mean, her family at that point was the quote unquote Avengers. But, you know, she was trying to do something productive and the people who had a less positive response to everything that happened, like uh, Hawkeye and Thor, um, they gave in to, you know, anger, hatred, violence, or self-loathing and substance abuse, um, which are kind of less productive outlets. And they were more, you know, lonely or singular um, in their, you know, aftermath. I mean, Hawkeye went by Ronan, you know, which is definitely someone without a purpose, without a master who's out on their own. So um, I really liked how... They really explored the different ways people grieve, the ways they move on, the ways they don't move on. Um, It was just really unexpected because, you know, you go into a three hour end of the 22 film saga superhero movie and you expect just like bang, 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 something like Deathly Hallows Part 2, which is just two hours of action. And instead, no, you get the first hour, hour and a half is very character oriented um, I think if you even take out the uh, Captain America versus Captain America fight, there really isn't that much action until the last act and the final battle against Thanos. Yeah, and I loved uh, to bring the television in uh, the MCU's uh, television verse that doesn't really get a ton of love from the movies. But we got to see uh, after being canceled way before its time, after only two seasons, we got to see uh, eight, the agent carter aesthetics again which i loved got to see jarvis uh which was a nice little easter egg for people who invest in all of this stuff and i really i liked that and uh, i also really liked the way that thanos got to be the villain again in a way that didn't feel repetitive or cheap or um you know he he got he got two moments to shine as uh the the bad guy without um the the ending felt very sort of refreshing and uh seeing the the battle where Steve gets to wield uh what's the name of the Thor's hammer again? Uh Mjolnir. M- Mjolnir. God, I can't pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, um, it's not an easy word. Um, but yeah, no, I I like the fact that um we did not get just a repeat of Thanos from Infinity War in this. Um you can I think even the directors or writers might have said this like Infinity War you get a basically a philosopher Thanos, a benevolent Thanos, a Thanos with a purpose, whereas the one we get in Endgame, which is 2014 Thanos, which is around the time of Guardians 1 and 8 of Ultron, is the more, you know, warmonger Thanos or warrior Thanos or, you know, so it's two different, you know, takes on kind of the same character. But you see that when 2014 Thanos sees 2023 or 2019 Thanos and saying, you know, I am inevitable and that resonates with the younger Thanos. Um, so I like how, cause they really didn't need to do too much with Thanos in this movie. Cause he essentially was the main character of infinity war, but to find that way to add a new wrinkle to his character and to still make it satisfying when they beat him in the end, because 
this isn't the Thanos that snapped everyone away, the one that everyone really wants revenge on, but they were still able to make that ending really satisfying in the end. Yeah, I really, I've been going through the uh, the Thanos ones with Adam Warlock from, I think it's the 70s. Uh, and he he really is a philosopher also in addition. He's a lot of different things. He's really one of the most iconic figures in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it was it was so exciting to see the way that Endgame bookended kind of all, all this stuff and getting to revisit a lot of these other movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor the Dark World, Avengers 1, um, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And I guess when it comes to uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, I wasn't really expecting them to move the ball forward all that much in terms of what was going to come next, because they had said um, this movie is will end Phase 3, which... Well, at first, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, OK, that's probably the same way that Ant-Man closed uh, phase two. It, it you know, it, it made sense to put him there, but it probably didn't really matter. And then. Right. No, it really. It, it, but then it did, because you had um, the movie was kind of a tribute to Tony Stark. And I, I noted this in my review of Spider-Man, but I, I really was to- very impressed with the way that they built the Tony Stark, uh, Peter Parker relationship essentially off of 20 minutes of footage in civil war and 15 in homecoming. Cause Tony Stark really isn't in homecoming all that much. And civil war is a captain America movie. So they, and Tony Stark had had three movies and, uh, the first two Avengers before there even was a Peter Parker in the MCU. And to see, to see Tony Stark's, uh, third act, blend with Peter Parker's first act in the MCU in that kind of way, I thought was really, uh, really powerful. And it made sense that the movie that Tony Stark was such a presence in far from home. And it, it, it felt, felt earned and it felt, uh, natural. And then it had that, that end credit scene, which, uh, totally blew me away. And I was like, wow, this is really, this is way more, maybe not clarity in terms of where it's going, but, uh, Definitely a lot to chew on for the next couple of years. Yeah, um, I think something um, because we've talked about how just astronomically huge the MCU is. So I'm almost glad that they actually spent a film like doing a denouement to the Infinity Saga and really grappling with uh, Tony's legacy, um, both on the good side, which, you know, Peter Parker's everything that's good about Tony's legacy and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio and all the disgruntled former Stark employees kind of, you know, do all the bad parts of tony's legacy but um like you were saying the relationship that they somehow built between tony and peter um it almost stands in for that peter uncle ben relationship that we know from basically every other incarnation of spider-man and one thing i really appreciated about the movie was the whole edith system the drone system that's you know mysterio's after and that's given to peter um that's kind of a externalization of the whole great power, great responsibility ethos that comes with Spider-Man because Edith is a great power and it's, you know, Peter's responsibility to figure out what needs to be done with it, who needs to, you know, be in control of it and all that stuff. So I really like how they've taken very much staples of the Spider-Man canon of the Spider-Man mythos. And they've really evolved them into a way that both fits into the MCU and also tells a new story that isn't retreading, you know, uncle Ben 
or the same speeches about great power and great responsibility, they can let the audience do some of those dot connectings or making those comparisons on their own, but they can tell their own story, but it still stays true to that character. Yeah, I agree with that uh, a lot. It, you know, after all the, you know, the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield, we we've gotten Spider-Man's origin story pretty, pretty baked in, but also the Tony Stark relationship. And even uh, before he turned bad or before he was revealed as bad with Mysterio, um, if you read the comics, Spider-Man has all these great interactions with other characters. The Spider-Man Deadpool is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a witty character and he's a lot of fun to watch, but we don't really get to see him interact with uh, that, that side of him. He doesn't really have a kind of uh, mentor figure that he's always had in the MCU. And even the the scene where he's sitting there drinking lemonade with uh, uh, Mysterio I was like, boy, you know, it really I I was expecting a heel turn for Mysterio, as as I guess most people were. But there was a big part of me that's like, please, why doesn't he stay good? This dynamic is really working for me. I would like to see more of this. Yeah, um, I think they did it just right, because I think everyone I don't I don't know how well Mysterio is known to larger audiences, but I think pretty much anyone with some, you know, semblance of knowledge of the Marvel Universe was like, oh, he's going to be a bad guy. He's going to be revealed to be a bad guy. But they string you along just long enough, uh, just to the point where you're actually quite, oh, he's he might actually be a good guy. And um, there's some precedents, like if you look back at the Doctor Strange movie, uh, Mordo, uh, played by Chiwetel Elijah He's, you know, Doctor Strange's primary villain, but in the entire first film, um, he's basically just Doctor Strange's friend and ally. So I almost thought they were going to go that route. And then they literally just turn you on a dime um, in that uh, bar scene where he's having that lemonade. Um, And they just, you know, literally all the curtains are pulled back, you know, almost quite literally in a sense. Um, And we see the great performance that uh, Quentin Beck slash Mysterio was putting on. Yeah, I I agree completely. I had a question that I don't think I've posed to like anybody in a broader sense outside of uh, you know, talking talking with people around uh around Long Beach, but the one thing I kept thinking about as I was writing my review was um James Rhodes, who I growing up with the Spider-Man animated show and uh the comics, I Maybe it was just a contrarian sense in me, or maybe I've always had a fascination with the the silver C three PO at the beginning of a New Hope. <laughs> if I see warp, I see War Machine as kind of like a similar, you know, the silver armor, and I've always loved him, and I loved uh, Don Cheadle as well. Um, do you think he would have worked in that movie? I, this is just kind of a hypothetical, but uh, I, you're the person to ask. Um, hmm, that's a, that's actually a, an interesting question. Um, because yeah, uh, I I don't really know because. I feel like Don Cheadle is someone, or not Don Cheadle, uh, War Machine, James Rhodes, is someone who's, besides Tony, has always really worked well with other kind of characters with a military legacy. Like he has a relationship with Carol Danvers. Um, him and Cap are, you know, buddies. Uh, him and Sam as well. Um, him, uh, you know, it would have been interesting to see him, you know, because he's also part of Tony Stark's legacy. So it's almost kind of surprising, yep. like you say that that's like the one part of Tony's legacy that doesn't really come back in this film. Um, we get basically everything else. We have a lot of happy, um, probably no pepper, but you know, I don't know if Gwyneth Paltrow knows what movies she's in at this point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that would have been an interesting relationship. And to be honest, I think Don Cheadle might still be around for a couple more Marvel films. So that is something I'd be really interested in seeing. 
um, you know, just at least having a conversation, not necessarily about Tony, but seeing if, you know, Rhodes can move in, not move into that father figure role, but at least be someone who Peter can go to on occasion when he really needs it, because there is a lot of Tony and Rhodes and vice versa. Yeah. And with the, with Edith and all of that, I I was always just constantly thinking like, okay, I've, you know, this isn't, you know, Tony's going to give it to Spider-Man because there's no war machine movie, but, um, I just kept thinking about how, how cool it would be to have, cause in the Tony death scene in Endgame, um, I think they handled it really well of including Rhodes and, uh, Peter and Pepper, um, not, you know, focusing completely on, uh, one over the other. And it, it, it worked really well. I mean, obviously there was the, uh, Nick Fury was there to be his mentor, except for the fact that it uh, wasn't Nick Fury. Nick Fury is up uh, hanging out on a really cool looking spaceship. <laughs> and that 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 was a twist that I well, <laughs> you know, to say that was a totally unexpected twist would would also uh, maybe do a disservice to what was maybe the biggest jaw dropping end credit scene in all of the MCU. And that was the return of J. Jonah Jameson doing an Alex Jones impression. That was I really uh, kind of, it, it felt almost like an homage to the, uh, I, I don't, I haven't really kept up with the Spider-Man comics as much, but in the PlayStation 4 Spider-Man game, yep, he's just, he's full out Alex Jones in that. And uh, with, with the end of Far From Home, I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Yeah, um, Going back to what we were talking about a little bit ago about how um, they were able to take the Spider-Man mythology and do something kind of new but still familiar with it. And I feel like that first uh, mid credit scene was exactly that. Um, because a core part of a lot of the Spider-Man stories has been that, you know, J. Jonas Jameson's always been kind of after him, that a lot of New York thinks of him as a menace, you know, as kind of a threat. Um, we hadn't really had that in the MCU up until this point, and granted... Uh, Peter hasn't really spent a lot of time in Manhattan so far in the st- in this series, but they were able to bring in that whole J. Joma- J. Jonah Jameson, uh, you know, antagonism. They were able to kind of turn New York against Spidey, so they gave us something very familiar or something very resonant from Spidey's canon. But then by also unmasking Peter in that exact moment and saying, "Hey, this is actually Peter Parker," um, they've actually done something new, and I really like how they threaded that needle. And man, I'm just glad uh, J.K. Simmons uh, decided to reprise that role. Um, I know people have said, oh, this is proof of the multiverse theory. And this is the same one from what, you know, the Tobey Maguire movies. And I don't think it's that. Um, but I do appreciate that they're putting a very modern twist on it. Like you said, it's a very InfoWars um, kind of approach, kind of like the video game took a very podcast approach. And I'm thinking back to um, what's it called? Uh, Homecoming, where... It's like, oh, you're that Spider-Man from YouTube, which just feels exactly where kids would know things from nowadays. So I really appreciate how how well the MCU and Spider-Man in particular is integrating into this, you know, a world that feels very much like ours, but with all these larger than life superheroes. Yeah, I hadn't really I heard the that multiverse theory for the J. Jonah Jameson, which I mean, it makes makes sense that it exists. Uh, I mean... Lou Ferrigno reprised the voice of the Hulk, uh, I think at least twice in uh, The Incredible Hulk and uh, the first Avengers. 
So uh, that would probably mean that TV show would uh, be included in that also. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was exciting. It I, I'm holding out hope for uh, them to bring Tobey Maguire, who still looks wonderful, I might add, and Andrew Garfield, who didn't play the role all that long ago, so he uh, still looks pretty good as well. Uh, I would love a movie, maybe just like a Sony spinoff with the three of them and... Uh, Maybe Tom Hardy's Venom, which is a movie that I was conflicted, but I, I loved parts of it and I hated other parts and I was indifferent about a lot of the other. <laughs> I I looked at that mo- movie and I'm like, I, I don't think I don't think I've ever been as more frustrated with a movie as I was or a superhero movie as I was with Venom. Yeah, I mean, it. I know a lot of people really love it. I partially, ironically, I think. And, you know, Tom Hardy's doing the full Tom Hardy thing, which is always a pleasure to watch. Um, but I mean, from the comics, I'm not a huge Venom fan per se, just because um, I think the Venom origin story is real cool. But a lot of the Venom stories, especially from the 90s, are part of that whole in the 90s where everything was extreme and like, you know, just off the walls, bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't in love with that. And Venom, to me, um, the symbiote and Eddie Brock and all that stuff, it's really important how all that relates to Peter Parker and Spider-Man and, you know, what kind of happens to the symbiote in the process of leaving Peter and looking for another vassal to kind of take control of and get revenge on Peter. So, you know, it's kind of missing that core ethos to me. Um, But going back to your Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield point, I think there was actually some talk about working both of them into the into the Spider-Verse uh, film, uh, the animated one with Miles Morales. But I think just for the sake of simplicity and for the story they were telling, they decided to not, you know, layer that stuff in. But I would be shocked if in Into the Spider-Verse 2, there isn't basically all the existing Spider-Mans coming on board in some fashion. That'd be awesome. And Into the Spider-Verse was, uh, that was a remarkable movie. I was Totally blown away, which uh, in a good way, it was it was like watching an acid trip as a superhero movie that was also just like really well written, too. And it wasn't like it was it was complete, like well choreographed sensory overload. It was astonishing. Yeah. And I think that's somewhere where um, right now in the world, Marvel Studio or Marvel and specifically Marvel Studios is just leaps and bounds ahead of its main competitor, DC Comics. But one place where DC has consistently excelled at, even while their uh, live action movies have kind of flailed in the box office, is that they've always had a good animation studio. And that goes all the way back to like the Batman animated yep. series from the you know, mid 90s. Um, and they've been constantly, um, you know, putting out pretty solid animated uh, films, animated series. And I'd really, really love for Marvel, um, whether it's Sony or Marvel Studios, um, I would love for them to just explore the animated world a little more just because these characters feel just so much more at home in an animated world and you can even play on that panel to screen you know kind of adaptation like they did with uh, spider-verse with the thought bubbles with the onomatopoeia um all that kind of stuff so i thought into the spider-verse was a revelation it it found a way to be fresh for a comic book movie in a world where we have you know six to seven comic book properties every year at the very least yeah, it's really I actually I felt the same way uh about Shazam in the sense that uh for all the for all the comic book movies we get every year, it still managed to be uh to feel refreshing and um 
Far From Home, I mean, it, it, I, I liked it in a lot of, I think it was what the MCU really needed at that point. It uh, took a breath, got to reflect on Tony, close out the uh, phase three. And it was a lot of fun in the process. And I, I really liked, I really liked how that all unfolded. And then with the second end credit scene where they just totally, I mean, I don't know how they managed to get through the Comic-Con without, um, you know, just sort of explaining, gee, what the, what the hell did we just see there with the whole slate of totally, uh, totally unrelated properties and so much exciting stuff that we'll talk about. But, but, I'm just amazed, you know, that it's such a bombshell to drop. Yeah, um, there is a lot of things going on. Um, watching Far From Home, um, I felt like Nick Fury was, for the most part, pretty recognizably Nick Fury, as we know, you know, bitch, you've been to space and all that kind of stuff. Um, he was very clear, you know, he was doing the whole Sam Jackson, Nick Fury thing. But there were times in the movies where I'd see Maria Hill played by Kobe Smulders, and she was giving weird looks, and I'm like, this character in all her past appearances, whether it's Avengers or um, Winter Soldier, she's always very sure of herself and knows what she's doing, but she's giving a lot of confused looks um, throughout the film. So I'm like, what exactly is this? Is the character trying to do something new with their character? And then they just, you know, we find out why she was being different the whole time in that final thing when uh, Nick Fury and uh, Agent Hill are revealed to be Skrulls, which... Um, if we want to dive into what it could mean going forward for the MCU, what they could be hinting at there, um, there's probably two two things to think about here. Um, with the Skrulls, um, one of the key storylines from about 11 years ago was called Secret Invasion, where it was revealed that a lot of the people in the world, including major like heroes in the Marvel Comics universe, um, were actually Skrulls this whole time since like the 70s or 80s and that the actual heroes had been in stasis or were actually dead or things along that lines. But in that story, um, the Skrulls were very clearly villains and they were trying to take over Earth. Um, what this uh, MCU has done with the Skrulls, especially through Captain Marvel, is made them far more um, not the villains. They're definitely more... Uh, we have more empathy for them. They're refugees. So I would love for them to actually do a take on Secret Invasion, but it's not that they are, you know, these bad people trying to infiltrate, um, you know, Earth and pose as us, you know, which ends up being a very kind of messy, bad, illegal immigration metaphor, which I'm really not interested in at this point. But instead, having them be good guys and, you know, it looks like uh, Nick Fury, uh, fear into the other thing that's kind of teased here, is kind of setting up a new like secret agency, a new version of shield that's more galactic um, that employs the scrolls who are pretty much the best sleeper agents you could have. And what I think they're alluding to is what is called sword, um, which is kind of the intergalactic counterpart to shield where a shields focus on what happens on or earth sword is kind of like that intergalactic space force. I think it stands for like sentient world observation, something, something, you know? Um, so it kind of yeah. very much turns the focus of the MCU, which, you know, there are cosmic stories, there's Thor, there's Guardians, but all in the end, it all comes back to Earth. I don't think it's a mistake that the final battle of Endgame takes place in New York um, at Avengers Compound on Earth. But what Far From Home does with its very last scene is kind of turn that telescope, you know, back outwards and back out into space, into the cosmic universe and I think we're going to see a lot more of that going into phase four and phase five. 
Right, because you've got in phase four, there's going to be Thor four. There's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy volume three, which is not going to be called as Guardians of the Galaxy. Although there's there's still hope. <laughs> I would. Uh, I, I I'm certainly holding out hope. But well, to to mention a point on on that one in particular, uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, I. I know that the the volume three script had been uh, written before Endgame had come out, but then there's the just simple fact that Thor has really, really, really good chemistry with this team. He fits in naturally. He's got a lot going between his uh, rivalry with Star-Lord, his relationship with Rocket. Um, It's really, really good stuff. And um, I know that there's probably going to be some scheduling uh, issues. Well... We don't even really I it's hard to say what's going to happen with those two, but they almost set up uh, the end of Endgame as uh, I, I think there's going to be people who are disappointed if Thor doesn't at least factor in a, a little bit. If it's if it's something that's uh, it's I, I think it's probably got to be something that's more than just a cameo. Yeah, bit, yeah. You know what I, mean? Um, I mean, I really want to see them. I think the Thor rocket relationship just really, really shown in the last two Avengers movies. Um, they really bonded and you saw a real rapport between the characters. Um, I just really don't know because before the whole James Gunn situation happened, like initially where he was taken off of Guardians, Guardians 3 was supposed to be the next movie after the second Spider-Man movie, which ended up being Far From Home. So um, now that's not even on the slate for 2020 or 2021, but we do have a Thor movie. So um, I really don't know what to expect. I can see the Guardians maybe being in the first act or, you know, some of them possibly being in the first act of Thor love and thunder. Um, but I think if we really want to see a crossover, um, I think I, I think James Gunn might work Thor into guardians of the galaxy volume three. Um, I know his, he has, he has this own vision for his guardians trilogy and it's really a story about family, but I think with the events of infinity war and Endgame. Thor has definitely folded into that family a little bit, at least via Rocket and Groot, um, if not his relationship with some of the other characters. So, um, I mean, I think a worst case scenario is kind of like how Falcon showed up for like one action scene in Ant-Man. Um, that's kind of what you're looking at as like yeah. kind of the floor on something like this. Um, but, you know, my hope, I think much like yours and a lot of other people's is they actually integrate him a little more fully into um you know, the guardians of the galaxy. Cause I always had this theory that, you know, after these last two Avengers movies that they were going to, you know, make a new Avengers team comprised entirely of new people. Um, but I also thought it'd be kind of rad if they, you know, after the third guardians movie or during the third guardians movie, they kind of make a new guardians team on top of that as well. Um, which has some of our familiar faces from the existing guardians, but also works in people like, uh, Thor, Valkyrie, um, even people like Ant-Man, The Thing, um, Venom, they all spend time as Guardians of the Galaxy in recent comic runs. So it would kind of be cool to see that deck shuffled as well. Yeah, they've got a really deep bench. And uh, so does the Avengers. And I, I really like that Chris Hemsworth is sticking around. I could see why, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and... Uh, Scarlett Johansson has to go play uh, transgender people of uh, every race on the planet. So she's got to be out. Um, you know, 
and I'm happy that the people who want to stay are are sticking around because I you know, there was a part of me that was really sad when Endgame came out, like oh this big journey's over, and it's not over. There's all this plenty of new stuff uh, more than ever, and. Uh, I, I think I like that Chris Hemsworth probably uh, if I were him, I'd realize that Thor is probably as good as it's going to get. Um, Men in Black really was a bomb. Uh, yeah, it was not great. No. And, you know, actors want to do other things fine, but um, this role is going to define him. And if I were him, I would just milk that for all it's worth. And he's better than ever. I mean, I, I like the first two Thors, but. Uh, it's hard to argue that uh, Ragnarok wasn't uh, totally a game changer on that front. Yeah, and um, one thing that uh, Marvel Studios has done well from a marketing perspective is that at a certain point, just the lead actors and actresses, they just they sell the movies themselves um, because, you know, I know uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans are kind of done, you know, with their roles, but people saw them in real life and they saw Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. Um, you see the kind of energy that Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal were bringing to the Far From Home kind of press tour. Um, they really yeah. get the actors invested in the characters and the stories themselves um, so that, you know, they just go out there, they be themselves, and it kind of sells their movies just, you know, by happenstance because of it. And I think what happened with the whole um, reshuffling of the deck with uh, Thor Ragnarok and le- leading into the two Avengers movies, because um, I actually really loved how Thor was treated by the Russo brothers and the Avengers Endgame, because I think his arc kind of... It, it resonated with me personally a lot. Um, and just to see that Chris Hemsworth is like, yeah, I'm all in. I want to do a bunch more of these. I want to be opposite Valkyrie. I mean, they even got Natalie Portman, who, you know, I don't want to blame her because I don't think she was treated well by Marvel Studios. And they definitely didn't write Jane Foster to be a very compelling character early on. Um, but, it, you know, with Taika Waititi on board, you know, even she wants to be back in this and she gets to be... Uh, you know, Thor herself, which is going to be really exciting to watch because um, the comics that draws from is really, you know, some of the best Thor stuff I've ever read. And it's also just a great new twist because we've really seen Thor as in the Chris Hemsworth Thor kind of evolve past what his character was and was supposed to be in terms of King of Asgard, the wielder Mjolnir. He's something else now. And so that way we can have Valkyrie step into the role of, you know, King of Asgard. We can have uh, Jane Foster step into the role of Thor and this way we're not just doing another Thor movie it really feels like we're getting something different and new yeah and they're keeping the other uh really great part of Thor around too we're gonna get a Loki series which I'm really excited about because I from uh some of the the endgame press uh Tom Hiddleston has kind of indicated uh this is it I know he does a lot of uh work with British television stuff and I I sort of wondered i thought that he he might want out also but we're gonna get a uh, loki series which will it's gonna it, you know it's it's hard to say what to expect we, and i think that's probably true in a, even if they told us a little more but uh he's got the tesseract uh well, we don't i i don't think it's been confirmed that that's definitely the loki that we're gonna get but i assume it's probably endgame uh is gonna be some kind of launching point for that yeah, I think um, I think pretty much everyone's not confirmed, confirmed, but pretty much said it's going to be the Loki that uh, 2012 Loki. So this is literally right after he got his ass beat by the Avengers the first time. Um, you know, he takes the Tesseract and he goes away. Um, so it'll be interesting to see 
where exactly he goes from there. Because um, if we think back to that first Avengers film, um, he was leading an army to Earth and was going to beat them. But, you know, in return, he was going to take the Tesseract to Thanos, I think, because that was, uh, you know, the first part of Thanos's plan to acquire the Infinity Stones. Um, so I don't think we'll be seeing Thanos again. Um, but um, it kind of is up in the air um, where he goes. And we've seen a version of Loki through uh, through the Dark World, but more so for, through Ragnarok and Infinity War, where Loki does kind of develop a more sense of nobility, a sense of purpose, and he, he grows to become something more than the god of mischief that he basically was prior to that. Um, so knowing that that's what Loki can become, it'll be interesting to see what a Loki who hasn't made that character growth whether he can still reach that without his brother or if you know he goes a completely different route you know he might even become worse for all we know yeah there's so many different uh ways they can take that character he's so fascinating and tom hiddleston is just perfect for it and another character who poor you know endgame it was nice that spider-man far from home uh mentioned him in the obituary because i don't think his name was uttered in endgame and that is uh paul bettany who's a beautiful man uh his vision who uh did not get revived the hulk apparently forgot about him um <laughs> i mean i i don't he tried to save he tried to save natasha but um you know, no love for the favorite android. Growing up, I love, I always loved Vision because I don't think, I, I can't remember ever seeing him get his own comic. So I'd always want to look at the Avengers and see the people like Hawkeye or the Scarlet Witch or Vision who you wouldn't, or even actually, I don't remember Iron Man getting that many of his own individual comics growing up. So Avengers was a great way to see a lot of those characters. And when I found out that Paul Bettany, who was part of uh, a movie that I've seen probably 50 times, A Knight's Tale. It's like one of the most perfect oh, bad movies great. I've... Yeah, I love so it good. in the same way, yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah. think... So WandaVision is going to be very interesting because I think they've said that the basis for this is going to be one of possibly the best Marvel comic in the last 20 years. Um, it was Tom King's Vision series, which is a very Norman Rockwell take on vision trying to start a family in the suburbs yeah. and just like, it's a I have very, that up on my shelf. It's a very dark. Um, it's a very dark kind of like soft sci-fi story about, you know, can robots or androids, you know, feel what they think, how they relate to other beings. Um, some of those beings being other people, some of them being other androids. Um, so I think they're going to uh, really focus in on that um, because we did see, um, you know, Wanda and Vision kind of start having a real relationship, a real, I, I don't know, yeah, family, you know, in a way, the way they were be behaving in Infinity War and even back to Civil War. Um, so to really kind of take that and play with it, um, I can see, I really think that when Shuri was trying to remove the Mind Stone from Vision um, before, you know, that was all cut short, um, I do think that a lot of Vision's, you know, mind was mapped into the computers there at Wakanda so I can see that kind of factoring into whether it's uh, Wanda, you know, kind of using that and they're just rebuilding a new android with Vision's mind or if she used some of her powers and kind of bends reality or does whatever she does to help bring him back. Yeah, I really that that Vision run reminds me. It almost feels like Philip K. Dick wrote it. Yes. Which yes, obviously yes. he didn't because he, he didn't write comics, but um, it. 
it's such a fast. I, I had always for years before, uh, I guess probably throughout phase two, I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to, uh, I'd always wanted to incorporate that arc into a Hawkeye solo movie, which didn't happen, but I thought that they would, uh, work well together. Obviously civil war, uh, maybe threw a wrench in that. Yeah. I don't think they're friends anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, but because that actually gets into, um, the Wanda vision series is actually going to be closely tied to apparently, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness um, because right. uh, yeah. Elizabeth Olsen, Scarlet Witch is apparently going to be a co-lead on that movie, which kind of makes which makes a ton of sense, given that they both kind of deal with these mystical powers. But given their proximity in the slate to each other, it almost feels like there's going to be some kind of relationship there or like, you know, between the two stories or whatever is being told in WandaVision versus whatever is being told in uh, multiverse of madness which is just a bonkers title for a film and i think some of the people who might have been disappointed that far from home didn't really dive into the whole multiverse like like was advertised like into the spider-verse did before it um we might actually end up seeing some of that in the doctor strange film that'd be awesome and i know well i guess it could happen now that disney owns fox but um i would personally really really love if Evan Peters is Quicksilver, if we haven't seen the last of him, which uh, it looks like um, I had been talking to uh, Alexandra August, who has been on the show a few times, uh, another Game of Thrones fan, and she had interviewed him at WonderCon and said, you know, what's next for Quicksilver? And he really I don't think he thought there was anything that was next because it's supposed to be it for that X-Men um, total long shot. I doubt it'll happen, but uh that would be exciting. There's so much they can do, and it's so great that they're pairing Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch is not really... I would personally love a Scarlet Witch solo movie, but uh, I don't think that's probably in the cards for uh, Disney. So to incorporate her into that and to do the series, uh, it, it's really exciting. And it's exciting that the series, uh, from the looks of it, because Disney's doing this in-house now, were gonna see a bit more um synergy between the movies and the series i think maybe my one uh regret from infinity war is that we didn't see at least luke cage in the uh big new york fight but um yeah i think the 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 mark no i think you're exactly right i think we were kind of sold a bill of not sold but you know it it was set up where things like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage lived, you know, existed in the same world as Iron Man and Captain America. And, you know, the Netflix shows would occasionally, you know, throw a bone about how, you know, subtlety went out the window when that dude with the hammer fell out of the sky or the incident in New York and all that stuff. They'd like allude to it, but we never got that, you know, real synergy. And I think one of the fears going into this whole Disney Plus shows was that, okay, they're just going to relegate some of these side or supporting characters to just, you know, do the TV thing. But, 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 but by putting Wanda both in her own series, WandaVision, but then also making her a co-lead in a film the same year, even months after, you know, her TV series, that really shows that they're treating both as equally valid parts of the canon. And you're almost going to have to watch all of it um, the movies always do a good job of, you know, even if you've never watched one of the previous movies, they kind of catch you up a little bit. But um, I really like how well they're integrating it because it really does feel more like a cinematic universe when they treat all parts of it, you know, the same. 
Yeah, I mean, I was watching uh, this past season of Cloak and Dagger, and the whole time I'm just waiting for people to start turning to dust from the snap. <laughs> and uh, it never it never happened. And, I mean, you know, the, the MCU, even, even, even now in the post-Netflix era, they're still... You've got Runaways on Hulu. You've got Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Uh, I think... I don't know what the deal is with the one that Squirrel Girl is going to be in. Um, I think it was supposed to come to Freeform, like the New Warriors or something. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if that was supposed to be animated or not. Um, yeah, something like that. Well, who, there's going to be the, the Howard the Duck and a couple of the other series on Hulu. Oh, yeah, Hulu. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, so I don't think they've... Um, announce anything official other than that those shows have been greenlit but they're definitely in the works and um we'll see because i think um i'm sorry to start steering this conversation but uh one of the other things they announced was the what if series and that's going to be an animated series but it's also going to be tied into the mcu um it's kind of more of alternate universe takes but I just like the fact that they're not letting the gap between animation and live action necessarily be a artificial boundary between stories at this point. Yeah, I agree. That would be, um, that'll be exciting because, uh, I, I think like a character like Howard, the duck probably works better as an animated kind of a uh, sitcom style character. Yeah, I'd agree. Even though, I mean, I love his guardians cameos. Um, so the new warriors was supposed to be on Freeform. It's up in the air now because Freeform apparently didn't want it. Uh, that's kind of consistent. I, uh, as a network, they've uh, made some interesting decisions. I know that people are. It amazes me that Shadowhunters didn't get renewed after uh, that long of a fan campaign to try and save it. But um, I, I'll never forgive them for canceling Bunheads. But. Uh, <laughs> I'm just shocked to learn Freeform isn't just constantly showing Harry Potter marathons and Pretty Little Liars, because um, that's all I really knew of what they had on their programming. But um, it seems weird to bypass, you know, pass up on a Marvel property, given that basically everything that's connected to Marvel Studios right now is almost instant gold. Um, and like you were, you mentioned Cloak and Dagger, which I think was a Freeform show. Um, yes. Yep. So, I mean, that's another thing that um, I watched the first season. I really liked it. I haven't dived into the second season yet, but um, that's just another thing that pretty much right now, everything Marvel's touching is, you know, pretty good, or at least it gets eyeballs um, regardless of, you know, where it is. Yeah, and I guess, uh, especially in the year between Infinity War and Endgame, I was constantly, I think I wrote about half an article and I don't think I got around to finishing it, but I was going to call it Marvel's Dust Bowl problem in the sense that you've got all these shows premiering in the interim that essentially all the press for these shows has to include in the beginning set before the events of Infinity War or this does not reference the snap or something. And Or S.H.I.E.L.D. had to I, basically I, go on hiatus, you know, yeah. Before Infinity War and then come back after Endgame just so they didn't have to deal with any of that. And S.H.I.E.L.D. was supposed to be the show originally that that was that, that reacted to everything. And like Lady Sif in the first series and uh, the post uh, the post Winter Soldier stuff was really fascinating uh, from a behind the scenes production angle, I imagine the showrunners were like wait what a, wait a second you're gonna get rid of shield like what's gonna happen to us all that kind of stuff uh but the show really got great as it um distanced itself from the broader mcu and 
I guess one thing that I'm really excited for with phase four is we have all of these sort of uh, connections between certain characters, you know, Thor and the Guardians or Doctor Strange and WandaVision, but we have no idea what the next Avengers is going to be like. We assume it's probably going to be something that's that's kind of centered around uh, Captain Marvel, Black Panther and Spider-Man, but uh, it's not on the docket. We don't even know if there's going to be an Avengers in phase four or if they're just going to, they've got all this other stuff going on. So um, I, if they do do something, um, so these are kind of the two thoughts I thought that they could go with. Um, the first one is there was that uh, scene at the near the end of Endgame where all the um, women heroes, you know, kind of teamed up for a moment. Um, and that kind of gave me sh- um, thoughts about a series called A Force, which was an all female Avengers team, um, right. which is definitely one yeah. route they could go. Um, another um, series or story that they could borrow from is a recent uh, series by Al Ewing called The Ultimates, where it was pretty much led by Black Panther and Captain Marvel, who are kind of de facto leaders in this you know new MCU, and they were a very science, larger than life, multiverse um, kind of based team that was trying to solve big problems like, you know, let's turn Galactus, this big planet eating, you know, giant alien thing into a good guy instead of this, you know, he became life bringer and a place, a giant being that went and granted life to planets as opposed to consuming them. And as we know, uh, Galactus is one of the things that Disney has reacquired through the Fox merger. So, um, that's another route they can go because it's hard to get bigger than what Endgame was in terms of just sheer action battle. Um, Thanos, we've talked about already at length, was just this great villain that was part philosopher, part warrior. Um, so by possibly going a more sciencey route or kind of problems bigger than just a villain or an antagonist uh, might be a way to kind of position a new Avengers team going forward. Yeah, and they've got... Um... You know, beyond just, you know, teaming up Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange and the Guardians and Thor, they've got uh, another team up with the Eternals. Well, I guess they're they're a team to begin with, but they've got that that group feel and they've got an all star cast. Angelina Joan Lee, uh, Rob Stark, Richard Madden. Um, Salma Hayek, Kumail Nanjiani. I mean, we could keep going. It's it's a star studded cast. I was just going to say, this is actually, you know, I've talked about my comic book knowledge at length on this podcast, and the Eternals are kind of a blind spot for me. Um, they're basically, you know, two series, one from the late 70s by Jack Kirby and one from the early aughts by Neil Gaiman, and that's really the bulk of what they are. Um, but they are a very cosmic-based um, story, um, so that's, again, how the MCU is looking outward and looking to a more uh, space-filled Phase 4 Phase 5. Um, and it's also just something new and fresh and something that, you know, we can't bring, you know, decades of our own knowledge of pop culture knowledge to like we can with the Spider-Man or a Captain America. So um, I think that's one of the more exciting properties on the menu, especially with uh, Chloe Zhao, um, who's at the helm of that film, um, which is also something we should at least mention is that um, the people behind the camera for this next phase is definitely far more diverse to kind of reflect some of the diversity that's actually on screen for some of these movies yes that's uh it's a refreshing touch as somebody who kind of did an eye roll at the end game scene with all the women because yeah it's a big moment but um a point that 
uh, we've talked about on this podcast before is just, you know, whatever credit people want to give Marvel for uh, the diversity. And, and it's it's great they're doing this. A um, little frustrating that uh, we're 20 movies in and they're just sort of starting to, uh, you know, Disney. It feels like Disney's sort of uh, following versus leading. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a little... Uh, I feel it's the bottom line. The bottom line is the tail wagging the dog. It's hard to think that they're doing a lot of this out of you know, a true desire for diversity as opposed to, oh, we saw that things like Black Panther or like something like Crazy Rich Asians are just massive hits and that there's an audience there. Um, it's hard not to be cynical about that, especially considering where you think the politics of the people in charge at Disney, like the higher ups, the owners, um, you know, the chairman like Ike Perlmutter, those are very Trumpian uh, conservatives up top. So yeah, it's hard to really have a optimistic viewpoint of some of these you know diverse choices but um the visibility is good and the stories are better um when there's some diversity yep. behind the camera to re- you know to actually tell the stories because we don't want you know cis white men telling the story of um women uh people of color um all that kind of stuff exactly yeah i agree with that uh, speaking of neil gaiman i would love it if we could have a Marvel 1602 just kind of one-off film <laughs> that uh, is one of my one of my faves. It's it's a weird uh, weird film. I don't know how it would how it would be marketed, but I, I think Marvel the the What If was was pitched as one of the shows. Yes, so uh, maybe they could uh, work something similar into that. I don't know. Neil Gaiman is so uh, huge right now between um, Good Omens and uh, there's going to be a Sandman show, and which I. God, I, I hope I, I hope that I works. Imagine, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really hard comic. I I almost feel like they need like Guillermo del Toro to do that. Yeah, uh, which would be awesome. But uh, that'd be really exciting, and it'll be great to get an LG. We have Valkyrie, who everybody knew was uh, by. Uh, I think Doctor Strange is probably a little uh, by himself, also. Wow, uh, that. Um, and I think they mentioned someone from the Eternals might be. Uh, queer as well so um here's hoping for you know more of that please because it's you know also kind of bullshit how marvel's kind of coded queer relationships or wanted to you know kind of queer bait some of the steve bucky stuff um and obviously you know they kind of alluded to valkyrie having you know being by in ragnarok but they never really you know explicitly stated it or did more than just kind of one flashback um so They've always, you know, kind of threw, threw people a bone, hoping, you know, that would make some people happy, but still draw them into their very heterosexual films. Um, but we hope to actually see some reflection of uh, that in the phase going forward. Yeah, we'll get uh, I'm really excited for Shang-Chi as well. That's going to that's not a, a comic that I know too much about, but uh, it gives me I have kind of a comic uh, embargo until I get through um uh, some of the ones I have, and yet when uh, Marvel movies announced, then I lift that and I get the comics for that one. So that's a good excuse. Uh, I'm lo- really looking forward to diving in with that, especially after the uh, lacklusterness that was the Iron Fist or uh, poor Loras Tyrell there. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that, I think Iron Fist, just the way it was conceived, the way it was cast, the way it was, it just never had a chance to succeed because you had an actor and. You know, I, this I don't blame Finn Jones for. It's like they give him like 15 minutes of training before shooting a scene and they expect him to credibly beat like, you know, 
trained uh, martial artists, you know, on screen. It just, it was a losing proposition, but I think, um, you know, that was a Netflix choice. I think Marvel studios is a little more careful about that. And they do, they have, you know, they've cast, um, you know, well uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. I think Tony Leung is going to take the role of the real Mandarin um, who was kind of an imposter in the Iron Man three movies. And I actually like kind of what they did with Iron Man three. Um, but, you know, the Mandarin was a character in the comics who's always fraught with Orientalism and is kind of a yeah, pastiche of, you know, Asian stereotypes, um, you know, and that's, you know, what happens when you have predominantly white writers and white artists doing these kind of things. So um, a chance to actually reclaim that, um, recontextualize that um, is something I look forward to, because I think one of the great successes of the MCU in recent years is Umbaku from the Black Panther universe. Um, who was a character known as Man Ape? Um, you know, obviously a white man. Only a white man could come up with that. Um, and he was always a character that yeah. was <laughs> um, always a character that was pretty much. Oh my God! How did someone think this was okay to do? But you know, they cast Winston Duke. They gave some real pathos to the character, and he turned out to be a fan favorite for you know being in a third of the movie, really. Um, and even every time he pops up on screen, you know, everyone's like, yeah, M'Baku. So I'm hoping they kind of, you know, pull off that magic again with everything related to Shang-Chi. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Uh, I'm also really excited. Uh, for years, I've been advocating to bring um, Wesley Snipes back to the role of Blade because I think he's still in pretty good shape. But uh, they've now cast Mahershala Ali, who pretty much everything he touches is gold. He was uh, one of the standout stars of uh, the first season of Luke Cage and Moonlight. Uh, he even revived True Detective uh, this past season. Uh, he's been in... Uh, and actually, i have he's somebody I've been a fan of since uh, that show, The 4400 on the USA Network, which was... Um, oh, wow, that's going back. Yeah, yeah that was always... That was always a... I, I've always loved science fiction on, on TV that's just kind of doesn't need to be super big budget, but, uh, you know, huge Star Trek fan. I always loved Stargate. Um, I loved the Inhumans, not loved. I enjoyed it. I, it was, it was terrible, but it was, it was fun. Uh, just to see those, uh, characters, it was totally set up to fail with the whole IMAX thing. Uh, the, that animation was not, not IMAX quality. I don't know what they were thinking, but, with Blade, I'm really excited to see what he does with that role because he's not, he couldn't really be from the, the roles that we've seen him as. He couldn't really be more different than Wesley Snipes. So his take on it is going to be totally different. And, um, it's also just exciting to see that he himself apparently pitched it to Kevin Feige. That's the way you pronounce his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Feige. Um, um, it, it's, it's really, uh, you know, you always like you always like when an actor wants to pay, play the role versus, you know, taking some uh, huge paycheck and, uh, you know, half-assing the performance, as apparently Wesley Snipes did in Blade Trinity. Yeah, and I don't think um, I don't think they would have made that the very last reveal, the big mic drop moment of their San Diego Comic-Con panel if there wasn't a lot of energy from uh, Mahershala Ali and a lot of faith that Kevin Feige has in that project. Cause we don't really know when that's coming out, but um, they felt sure enough about it that it was worth announcing and making it the big reveal. Cause to me, I always, once they announced Thor, you know, love and thunder. And I don't think anyone thought the next Thor movie was that close to coming out. Um, I, I thought that was like their big, Oh shit moment of the, 
uh, panel, but um, no, I, I'm really excited for Blade and um, the Marvel Universe is wild because we have vampires. Um, the comics have its own version of like the devil and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of more solidifies that uh, Marvel's more willing to be bonkers and not necessarily be tied down to what audiences will accept because after things like Endgame, um, you can pretty much take it that the audiences are willing to accept whatever as long as you write it well, as long as the characters act the shit out of it. Um, it's all good. So we got vampires coming to the MCU. Yeah, and apparently we're getting uh, on Hulu, we're getting Ghost Rider back and uh, mm-hmm. it'll be sad to see. Uh, I I, I want to know if they at least uh, asked Nicolas Cage if he was going to come back. But uh, Ghost Rider had been in... Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was uh, fun. I think they're going to... I think that actor is supposed to play the role again, but it's going to be like a different take. Yeah, I think it's Gabriel Luna. I'm actually... That's kind of a blind spot for me, but I heard everyone who had seen it said that, um, you know, they were really happy with the portrayal of that Ghost Rider, which is, I believe, Robbie Reyes, um, who has a, what, a demon-possessed muscle car as opposed to the traditional uh motorcycle that we know from the nick cage movies and i'm blanking on that ghost rider's name it's johnny something um yeah but i um i can't remember exactly right now but um that shows that you know marvel even as they're going through a bunch of changes as they're closing out phase four is that they're very aware of things that have worked in the past are working right now and they don't want to just throw it all out um, because if they can honor that or if they can find a way to make it work in whatever they're doing going forward, um, they're going to be open to that. Um, Even, you know, JK Simmons and Spider-Man, that's very much acknowledging that this is something we know works and fans want, and we can definitely make it work going forward. Which is something that they're going to, uh, I know that they announced that we're going to get X-Men and um, Fantastic Four, and I guess the big question is sort of, uh, I mean, Marvel is, has handled uh, rebooting or, or t- doing their own take on a lot of these uh, previous characters uh, really well. I, I I think after the Ben Affleck movies that Daredevil needed a bit of uh, rehabilitation, they did that really well. They did their own take on The Punisher. Uh, X-Men, uh, that'll be, I mean, as somebody who, uh, really loved the X-Men movies growing up, it'll be interesting to see not only how they do that, but, um, how they address how these, all these mutants, I don't know, maybe that one is, maybe that, uh, element is not as hard as we think because mutants have always been in hiding and, uh, you've got the oppression and all of that stuff. What I would personally love is for them to do an Exiles TV show, which is basically would would basically function like a uh, reimagining of uh, the old Fox show sliders that had Jerry O'Connell and uh, John Rice yep. Davis, which was a really bizarrely a uh, lot of fun. I wouldn't really call it very good, but I I, I loved I loved watching it. That'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I I don't really get the idea that we're gonna get an X Men in uh, Phase Four, but. Um, I mean, the, the property is too valuable for them to keep it on ice for that long. Yeah. Not seven I mean, years, but cap. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think prior to the explosion of MCU before Iron Man came on the scene, you know, X-Men were basically side by side with Spider-Man as the most recognizable Marvel properties. Um, so I definitely want I definitely want to see them and I expect to see them within the next five to seven years. 
Um, I think the real complicating factor here is that um, I think they're going to move forward with Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool um, and kind of everything the Fox has kind of started building out in that corner of their universe. So it's going to be an interesting game, whether to see if they just let that thing be its own thing or they allow Deadpool to, um, you know, kind of be a transition to get mutants into this universe um, and maybe having a, you know, a fourth wall breaking character um, could be a way to kind of explain away some of however you want to explain how the mutants got into the universe at this point. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of have com- conflicted feelings about that because I think Deadpool works best as Deadpool and that's a different tone than what the MCU generally goes for. Um, but at the same time, it's a, it's a unique opportunity. Um, I'd really like to see, cause you, you've mentioned before that the X-Men are kind of a place where you find a lot more diversity in the cast of heroes than you do in the Avengers or other parts of the Marvel universe. And I'd really like to see X-Men or mutants that are not, um, professor X, Magneto, Mystique, Beast, uh, Logan. Um, I love a lot of those characters. I love how they've been portrayed on screen at times, but I'd love to see some of the other, you know, parts of the X-Men that we haven't seen on screen. Um, Kitty pride armor, um, or people that have been, you know, just shown a little less. Um, I'd really like to see them explore the deep bench that the X-Men have. And that could be a way to, you know, put a new twist on something that, you know, we've already seen, you know, seven plus movies of on their own. Yeah, I had the pleasure a couple uh, weeks ago of explaining to my partner who Maggot was. There was a Maggot comic Ooh. that was yeah. in the dollar section that I had to I had to pick up. And uh, characters like that are I mean, the X-Men, they've had so many different phases i grew up in the um in the mid-2000s emma frost was a really major part of the x-men comics and uh to see them kind of do the hellfire club on the gifted i thought was a lot of fun sadly that show was uh canceled and uh we're at the end of the line on legion with um, only a couple episodes left and i thought that was really well done but it does make sense that um aside from deadpool they're gonna you know uh not uh not move forward with uh some of that stuff but i i agree with you uh professor x we've had two really great adaptations of him between uh patrick stewart and james mcavoy magneto ian mckellen michael fassbender have been phenomenal i i don't know how you recast wolverine there's obviously going to be another wolverine eventually but uh that i think that and uh that and tony stark are probably the will be the two hardest to recast ever yeah. And I mean, if they want to, um, I'm completely okay if they bring back Daphne Keene, who played Laura in the Logan film, um, and had her be the all new Wolverine that she's kind of been her mantle yeah, off and on, um, for the last decade or so. So, um, they have some options so they can kind of formulate an X-Men team that feels familiar where they have a lot of characters in the same roles as they are in kind of the X-Men teams we're familiar with, but put new people in there. Um, Forge is another one I was thinking about because then we oh, get yeah. some indigenous person representation. And the good thing about Forge is that he's an indigenous character whose powers or his mutant abilities aren't some weird orientalist take on shamanism or, you know, indigenous culture. It's just like he can build stuff really well. It's just it's a mutant power. He just happens to be of a certain heritage. So um, I think that can kind of fill in the beast role, you know, the kind of techie or brainy guy. Um there's just a lot that they can do. And um, I think Marvel Marvel Studios has pretty pretty much been very thoughtful or they've always thought a couple steps ahead of everyone. And before this whole, you know, Fox acquisition, 
um, they probably had a plan into 2022, 2025 and beyond. So I don't think they're going to all of a sudden scrap what they thought was going to work just to try and, you know, shoehorn an X-Men movie here or there, um, especially when, you know, with the Disney Plus services, they can, you know, just do kind of a off on its own animated series or something like that just to keep the X-Men in the popular conscious and then actually introduce them into the MCU when the time's right and when the story calls for it. Yeah, I really like all of the animated X-Men's. Uh, the animated series, we're actually doing a rewatch of that now. And X-Men Evolution, I thought, was also uh, a lot of fun as a, you know, as yeah. a bit more kiddie with a high school take. But um, I think it was handled really well. And actually, they were kind of in the... They were headed toward their best arc ever, and then it got canceled, which was... Uh, something that's unfortunate but uh yeah i think we're all fond of the x-men animated series a lot because of nostalgia but i think x-men evolution might perhaps be the better actual series um it just it, it was a really clever take you know to make characters like storm and logan really be teachers and then have a younger class of x-men because um like you said as an analogy for diversity and you know like uh lgbtq uh people um having that teen representation on the team um as you know people are going through body changes and all that kind of stuff that's all very important stuff and i like seeing that part depicted as opposed to it just being all old white men you know having their chess games against each other is there sort of anything else that you'd wanted to cover in this episode oh boy what didn't we talk about um while I am not a huge fan of uh, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye, I am optimistic about the fact that uh, Kate Bishop is going to play a role in his series. Um, and I also think it's yeah, going to borrow heavily from fun. the Matt Fraction, David Aja run. Um, Aja, Ahai, Ajai. I've heard like five different pronunciations of it. Um, Azor Ahai, I don't even know anymore. But uh, <laughs> yeah, th that that's something I'm looking forward to. Um and I think that's basically it. I think we basically touched on everything that's in this new uh, Phase 4 slate of movies that they announced at Comic-Con. Um, if there isn't, I'm, I'd be shocked. Yeah, I uh, on Jeremy Renner, I was so blown away. I saw it in an IMAX, and I'd taken a couple uh, weed chocolate bars in a day before. Uh, I. But this was like back in 2011, and when uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol came out, and I... That might be my favorite action movie of all time. It just, it, net, it's great. Every box. And I love it. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, it, it was funny. It was well paced. It was, the action scenes are incredible. I've seen it a billion times. And uh, I hadn't, I, I it really didn't care about Mission Impossible after the third one. And it made me care about the franchise again. So I, Jeremy Renner will always have a soft spot in my heart for being the kind of, uh, ner not nerdy, but he was the, the sort of the cast out of the, he was the helper in that movie. Simon Pegg was making fun of him. That, so I'll always have a soft spot for him. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I don't, his Hawkeye isn't particularly beloved, but um, all six screenings uh, of Endgame that I went to, um, when his family was dusted in the intro, uh, there was always a large collective gasp. Um, so, um, you know, I think there's something there. And I think as they kind of transition into this next phase, um, you know, kind of having him be a mentor to Kate Bishop and kind of transitioning her to hopefully play a bigger role. And maybe, you know, we were talking about potential Avenger movies down the road. Uh, Young Avengers could be a route they choose yeah. to go. Um, so to um, to kind of uh, wrap up with a final uh, broad question. Um, 
as unanswerable as this would probably be, I'm not sure the answer myself, but uh, what are you looking forward to most out of this uh, really packed slate coming up? Let's see. Um, if you're if you're looking for a single property, um, I would say I think the Doctor Strange sequel is something that really tickles me because it's uh, supposedly going to be a horror movie. Um, and, you know, it just hasn't been one of those in the MCU. And I'm not a guy who likes horror, but I'm pretty sure through a comic book context, I could enjoy it. So as a singular point, that would be it. I think more broadly, um, and I'm a huge proponent of the films we got up until this point, and I love the Infinity Saga. But I just, now that Marvel has kind of figured out this formula where they get a creative who has their own vision, has their own story in mind, and not have them be handicapped by... Uh, world building or canon building or trying to adhere or steer the storyline towards infinity stones i'm really excited to see what can happen with some of these you know storytellers what taika can do um not having to lead into infinity war um what james gunn is going to do with the guardians of the galaxy you know because he always envisioned it as a three three film story as one big arc um and then all the new creatives that are coming in chloe zhao for eternals um and then some of the other directors. So I just think it's it's a fun time because they closed the book on everything we kind of knew and expected. And now they're kind of free to do whatever the hell they want. Um, and it's going to be a little more of a free for all. But I think we're going to get something great out of it nonetheless. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, for my, I am probably most excited. You know, we didn't talk a lot about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, which... Uh, as somebody who knows uh, how big of a Bucky fan you are, um, I'm a little surprised that uh, slipped us uh, this thus far. But uh, I'm really excited to see how um, we haven't gotten a lot of Bucky in the you know post all the mind stuff. Uh, he was a, a minor, he, you know, he didn't get a lot of time in Infinity War. You know, so same same goes for uh, most people and. Um, you know, Endgame, he was dusted for most of it. And uh, Sam Wilson has also been a character who I've always wanted to see more of. Uh, he, you know, he's introduced in Winter Soldier. He gets the scene in Ant-Man. And then, um, you know, by the time Civil War comes, he's got a, uh, as a sort of Captain America, uh, not quite a uh, supporting character, not quite sidekick. Um, you know, he's got to share it with everybody else. So I'm really excited to see where that goes i'm hoping it's really uh action oriented and uh the two uh, i'm looking forward to the chemistry maybe um i know bucky had a bucky and steve you know it's it's disappointing the one thing the end game i would have loved uh not for uh steve to end up with peggy in the dance scene uh at the end with the music but uh if he had been with bucky yeah no it would have been really nice but i think part <laughs> Uh, part of the reason is just because I think they do have more Bucky story to tell. Um, I think uh, there's yep. a couple uh, scenes in uh, Civil War where you see that uh, Bucky, he's like, I remember all the people I killed. And he talks about, yeah, I was under the control of Hydra, but I committed all these crimes. I think there's a lot of guilt that still weighs on that character. And I think that's, um, you know, I'm all here for sad Bucky ba Barnes hour. Um, if that's what Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be, because I think there's a lot of pathos in that character that can be explored. And having someone who's a little more light and fun like Sam to bounce off of, I think that pairing will be fun. And bringing back uh, Daniel Bruhl as uh, Zemo, um, who had a brief yes. cameo at Comic-Con, including with his iconic purple slash pink hood. 
Um, I always love how uh, the MCU takes uh, very campy comic book outfits and finds a way to turn them into something that feels real or realistic. And I'm sorry, but I have to bring up Mysterio's outfit in Far From Home um, because Mysterio has one of the most comic booky ass outfits that exist with the fishbowl and with the big purple cape <laughs> with the eyeball pins and all that stuff. And to actually interpret that as a motion capture suit with that big fishbowl still, but having the two drones behind him kind of be like those eyeballs that were supposed to clasp his cape. It was just a brilliant way to take the most outrageous costume and make it something that makes sense within the universe. Yeah, that was. And especially when he would say, you know, get my get my suit ready. I have to, you know, do photo ops and that kind of stuff. It it's it probably um not too surprising, but uh, maybe a little disappointing. They never got uh, Hugh Jackman into the yellow spandex Wolverine costume because that's about as campy as it gets. <laughs> yeah, I really thought they would have tried to do that in Logan just for the hell of it, even if it was a post credit scene. But as it stands, I, th- I was pretty happy with how Logan turned out. Yeah, I loved that movie. Uh, it was uh, spectacular and... I, I I hope um you know I hope it's kind of a uh, teach not a I I think that um in terms of wrapping up a lot of these arcs there's a lot to to learn from in the way that they handled that with such grace and uh, in a way that didn't really alter the way that Days of Future Past ended and uh, they've got the um you know the the timeline issues with the uh McAvoy uh cast and everybody was down on Dark Phoenix. I actually thought it was uh it, it, pretty serviceable all things considered. It it never looked, you know, it's a it's a bad situation with Fox uh getting bought. They kind of had the rug pulled out from under them. It it people wanted it to be this great end and it was more of a whimper, but I thought the movie was fine. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it had the unfortunate, it had the very unfortunate timing of coming out a month after Endgame, which, you know, for the most part was widely considered, you know, a huge success. And then to have something that's kind of not, you know, setting the world on fire kind of go out with that whimper. But I think it benefited from some low expectations. And I do think it did some things pretty well. It just as a whole film never came together. But, you know, part of the value of being a comic book geek is that you do find things to enjoy, even in the messiest and worst of these movies. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, all things considered, you know, you know, it was whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really looking forward to to get, seeing the space scenes and uh, getting into the cosmos with um, the Eternals and Thor and Guardians 3 and Captain Marvel 2 and getting to explore all that stuff. As you said earlier, you know, uh, it's great how these stories all find their way back to earth, but you know, the visuals will be fun and it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting, uh, it's going to be an exciting next few years, you know, in game, maybe the uh, biggest movie ever, but, uh, this isn't the end and there's so much, uh, exciting to look forward to. And, uh, it's been such a really, uh, great experience. Uh, I know we've had this episode planned for a while and it's one of those ideas that, uh, did, uh, kind of get better with age. Cause now we had uh, Spider-Man to talk about and the full slate of Comic-Con. So, uh, it's really, uh, it's been a treat and, uh, thank you so much, Manu, for coming on. Do you want to tell us, um, where we can find you once again? Yeah. Um, for the most part, you can find all of my content through my Twitter feed and most of my content is basically tweets, um, at Manuclear Bomb. 
um, my Game of Thrones podcast at Scene Ice Fire. It's a scene of ice and fire, which is kind of a scene by scene look at Game of Thrones. Um, we'll be picking up with season two shortly. So we're like way, way back with a long way to go. And I'm going to be uh, launching a comic book movie podcast called Panel to Film. Or is it panel to screen? I can't even remember the name of my podcast right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically where we look at a comic book movie and we try to analyze that in relationship to two or three comic books that it is actually based on and see how it succeeds both as a movie and as an adaptation. So um, that will be available within a month or so uh, in people's podcast machines. And like I said, everything I do will always be linked on my Twitter. So if you're interested, go there. You'll also be treated to a lot of pictures of cats and a lot of very leftist-leaning ideas that I might have in my head. Manu has an adorable cat named Gendry, who's one of the most photogenic cats I think I've ever seen. He, uh, especially I, when he's I in the bathroom. I think he heard you because he just, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just uh, he just uh, chirped at me when you said his name. So I think I think he's listening in. Those cat-like ears are <laughs> uh, paying attention. So. He's been sleeping at my feet for much of this podcast. Usually he chimes in with a point or two, but um, he's respected your podcast today. Ah, oh, well, we'll have to have him on sometime. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, It's been a pleasure, Manu. I uh, really, uh, really appreciate yeah. you coming on and sharing all of your Marvel expertise. Thank you so much for having me on, and I'd be happy to do it again about this or any other topic you'd like to have me for. Awesome. Well, uh, to everybody listening, uh, thank you. We've got uh, so much content to look forward to. It's such an exciting uh, time for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 